The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Welcome to the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, top dress designer Alice Temperley on her new homeware range and designing dresses for the stars. Garden guru Dimmert Gavin is back with us to answer your gardening questions. We'll explore another Irish connection to the White House as we approach St. Patrick's Day and interior designer Denise O'Connor on posh wellness trends for your home. If you'd like to get in touch with The Home Show podcast, you can do so by texting The Home Show at 53106. That'll cost 30 cent. Or you can email us at any time during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and I love hearing from listeners over there. And of course, you can listen live on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock on News Talk. Isn't it hard to believe we are almost at that time in the year when we're looking at St. Patrick's Day and coming up to Easter and all of that thing? And I want to know, I suppose, I haven't gone to the parade, I don't think, since my children were small in many years. Will you be attending? What do you like about it? Um, Is it the old green pints, the leprechaun hats and the shamrock? Or maybe you're just staying in for a day off. Well, most of the politicians, of course, will be away. Uh, There's only a couple uh, staying in the country off on their jollies or... Trade missions, I suppose, would be the kind term for it. And the Taoiseach, of course, traditionally will be going to the White House to meet Joe Biden, who is going to be coming back over to repay the visit uh, later on the year, we understand. Uh, So do stay tuned. I'm excited to talk to Shea Mary Doyle later in the show. Now, he's a director and filmmaker about James Gandon, one of our top designers, uh, and also his apprentice. Uh, He's going to be talking about James Hoban, who designed the White House. So there you go. That's our connection to the home show this week. Now, before all that, my first guest today, designer Alice Temperley, lives in an eight-bedroomed Edwardian property in South Somerset that was previously owned by newspaper magnate Lord Beaverbrook. Her dresses are worn by the likes of Michelle Obama, Kate Middleton, Beyonce and now Jennifer Coolidge in the hit series White Lotus on Sky Atlantic and HBO. Alice is now collaborating with Irish wedding dress designer Sharon Owey on a design project and is launching her homewares collection later this month. And she joins me now. Alice, you are very welcome along to The Home Show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you better tell us first why Dublin is on your radar and you have uh, been visiting here. Uh, well, I'm, I know that the, the store that we're selling with Sharon is well respected. I love Ireland and Irish people. Um, I particularly love, we, we worked with um, the girls from Costume for years, who I loved and I was so happy to catch up with too, for are ready to wear. And um, when I was asked to come out, I thought, yeah, fantastic. I want to go and see Dublin. I haven't been for years. And beautiful Dublin. Love it. <laughs> well, you're very welcome along. We love it too. Uh, so are you involved then in collaboration with Sharon Hoey? And, and what kind of will you be doing with her? Sharon has um, a, a really beautiful selection of our bridal pieces and our heritage gowns. And our heritage gowns are gowns that you can reorder in, in different colours and they're the best of what we do. So they're what people have asked for a lot for red carpet and um, a lot for weddings. And it's more of a sustainable model of evening wear that, that's run like a bridal collection is, which mm. is a very lovely way of working with fashion, designing beautiful things that, you know, never date, never go out of season and why I love the bridal business so much. And um, we are also giving her some of our very best bridal pieces to, to show the case in her store. I think it will give um, 
Manchester store, definitely something very different to offer. Mm. And, um, you know, they're very beautiful kind of pieces of art, really, that um, I can't wait to have the Irish feedback. They certainly are. And look, your style is timeless. It's very flowing with soft fabrics. And you're not averse to kind of having billowing pieces and velvets and buckets of sequins. <laughs> My movement's so important. And when I grew up, I was obsessed with film noir, like the film noir of um, Edith's head, who did all of the kind of costume. And I, when I was like, you know, scruffy little hand-me-down clothes farm girl, which that's how I grew up on a cider farm, I just was obsessed with the escapism of all of those black and white movies. And that was, you know, double settings and feathers and godets and jewels and that really, really kind of Hollywood glamour. So I kind of take all of that inspiration from way back at the beginning into just making gowns that become like if you, no matter when, you kind of, you might find this in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 years and you'll just still go, wow, Mm. look Mm. at how that is made. The best laces, the very best embroideries. Some of them take a month to embroider, um, but, you know, wedding dresses. But the workmanship that goes into them is what I'm very precious mm. about. Mm. Wedding dress is the main dress of your whole life. It should be special. Indeed, indeed. Now, I let you into a little secret. I actually own one of your dresses. It's a gold flowing Grecian style dress. Lots of sequins on it. I absolutely love it. But we're talking there about sustainability. It started life as my daughter's Deb's dress and it was vintage when she bought it. So it's had plenty of wear. Do you like that idea that your clothes can be worn through the generations? Yeah, I read a beautiful quote this morning on Business of Fashion that just says, you know, make the clothes beautiful so people, you know, want to wear them forever. And of course, that's so obvious. And the thing I hate most about the fashion industry is the cycle and the season and the churn and the fact every three months is something new and then all of a sudden what you've done before is perceived as being old, which is just, to me, rubbish. So um, what I did in lockdown was created a label that said Alice's Archive. So even if it had been in the store for three months, I mean, during COVID, the stores were pretty closed anyway, um, mm-hmm. but it should never end up in a sale channel. Um, because these things are timeless. So anything that I never want to go into this channel, you know, size 6 or size 16, 18, 20, hasn't found its, you know, owner. And it still gets this label in it, and it just waits for the perfect person to find it. Now, I believe that, and you are on the home show, of course, uh, Alice Temperley, and I believe you were homewear partnership uh, launching globally. Tell us a little bit about that, because I can see that being a success. Uh, so we have been working with Romo, who's a fantastic family-owned factory uh, up in Nottingham. And they have this incredible factory, which is they spent something like £60 million building, which has got robots and um, incredible mood boards for miles and just the most state-of-the-art incredible setup. Um, I thought my office was big. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's like another level of, uh, it's just amazing. And they, they came to me and we went through my 20 odd years of archive and prints and embroideries and we just lay lots of things on the floor and realized we had enough work to last, um, you know, decades of interior, um, interior sort of designs for wallpapers and fabrics and everything you can imagine, cushions, upholstery fabrics. And our first ever collection after years working on it launches at Design Week in London. We are gearing up for a global launch. And then I get sent to America, LA and New York to go and launch it in America. 
um, we're launching it in Milan, and um, yeah, it's super exciting. It's it's kind of a dream come true because it's creating what I do without having to think of boobs and bottoms. It's <laughs> right. just pattern on walls, and it, I see my brand as being much more lifestyle and about the craft and process, yeah. making beautiful things. And um, I've always wanted to do homeware, but to do it, you kind of have to go big or go home. And so we're going big with this lovely supplier um, as a, a long-term partnership. Indeed. And actually, you know, you have some experience in this already because I know you live in this absolutely beautiful, stylish home, an eight-bedroom Edwardian property that used to belong to newspaper magnate Lord Beaverbrook. Tell us a little bit about the house, Alice, and you share it with a, a, a pack of alpacas, I believe, but it's not a farmhouse property. Uh, it's not a farmhouse. I have alpacas. I have a shy horse that comes in my dining room. He's massive. He's called Tiny and he's 19 hands. And he's <laughs> okay. Um, and if I could get him all the way up the stairs and down the house, I would, but he goes through the staircase. Um, he and then yeah, it's beautiful. It's like a kind of inside-out wedding Escher cake with kind of pillars and that I think reflected the Ministry of Defence kind of building. Um, nothing makes sense. It's sort of like you're going to an Alice in Wonderland vision that that doesn't make sense. It's double height ceilings and a round library that Churchill planned the D-Day landing in with Eisenhower and Beaverbrook and those of allies of. And, and oh, you've, so you've it's kind of got the most amazing history, and also Tolstoy owned it. Nikolai Tolstoy owned it. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a custodian of a very impractical house for the moment, and I I obviously love it. And I've heard it described as an inverted wedding cake um, because you like the you have a range of kind of. I suppose, what would you call it? A pastel icing sugar colours. And you have an art gallery uh, on the top floor in it too. Who's allowed in the art gallery? Oh, I have an attic. It's not an art gallery. My son has an art gallery in the basement because my son who's 14 has worked out how to create paintings and flog them for everybody that comes to the house, which is quite clever. Um, it's, a, it's a new thing. He's been all of a sudden selling art for the last month. So it's covered in paint and it's great that he's got something to keep him <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Where do you find the items from it? I mean, are they all from posh stores <laughs> and beautifully curated interiors or do you go to flea markets? It's a very like historic house and I've always collected things. So it might be parish flea markets. It might be... Um, large objects from Morocco. I don't like anything too ethnic. It has to be um, very much a mix of like, masculine and feminine and a lot of, you know, beautiful old farm lights. And, um, we've had the sofas for the new interior project made by uh, Italian Solutions, which is a beautiful leopard sofa. And um, my house will be shared all over social media in the pushing and spreading word of what we've created, all the wallpapers, um, Oh, it's very exciting to share everybody. But I just collect things all, all the time. It's no, there's no particular style. I think this is your house is the expression of your personality, your mm. travels, your thing, and it should never be contrived. You just put things together how you think they work. And I'm not precious about anything, which I think is also important. 
And of course, people will get a sense of that style with that new homeware collection and you'll be able to be inspired by your own home uh, in bringing it to the rest of the world. Alice Temperley, MBE, UK fashion designer. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on The Home Show this morning. Thank you very much for having me. If you'd like to get in touch with The Home Show podcast, you can do so by texting The Home Show at 53106. That'll cost 30 cent. Or you can email us at any time during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and I love hearing from listeners over there. And of course, you can listen live on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock on News Talk. Dermot Gavin is back with us this week as part of our ongoing kind of masterclass about gardening and all things to do with gardening. I, I like we've had kind of a bit of inclement weather, uh, but you would probably like rain, do you? Yeah, and we're not getting as much rain as we used to get. So funny enough, I was down at the opening, at the reopening of a garden down in Waterford uh, last week, Mount Congreve, which was yes, beautiful, a re- really beautiful garden set out by a guy called Ambrose Congreve and lots of wonderful gardeners that uh, worked with him. I think he died at age 104 on his way to the Chelsea Flower Show. Something <laughs> like that. Uh, he was an eccentric uh, kind of billionaire. He created these gardens that were full of, uh, inspired by a garden in the UK, uh, inspired by one of the Rothschilds. He created a garden in Waterford full of rhododendrons and azaleas and magnolias. And I began to worry because with climate change, especially mm. down there, the sunny cities, I knew or I know that in Britain, the Royal Horticultural Society is moving some of its collections further up north right. because of the lack of uh, of moisture of Goodness. rain. Okay. And uh, we're seeing it subtly. Do you remember the heat waves mm. that we got last year mm. and a very early drought? You know, we've had some rain this week, but mm. nowhere near really what we've got used to, what our farmers need and what our gardeners need. Yeah, indeed. Now, speaking of inspirational gardens, Talk to me a little bit before we get into our listeners' questions about this fabulous King's Garden that you're building. This is ahead of the coronation of King Charles on the 6th of May. And you were commissioned to build some fantastical wedding cake type garden. It's the only way you can describe it, isn't it? It's a well, I was trying to find a term when I saw it, but I couldn't think of anything else. And funnily enough, I came across a Portuguese designer. She had done the Gucci or Dior, I think it was, fashion show a couple of weeks ago uh, with amazing installations. And I looked at her Instagram and she has designed a wedding cake pavilion and the proportions are almost exactly oh, the same. Right, to, to go, right. actually, Rothschilds again, to go on some country estate uh, as an installation. Yeah, so we're creating a garden just outside Belfast on a lovely coastal site in Newton Abbey to celebrate the coronation. Now, Charles himself, of course, is um, no mean feat himself when it comes to gardens and gardening and sustainability and flowers and plants and all that. Um, I, I, like, is there is there some direction coming your way or have you been just given a carte blanche? I, there's no direction come my way. I've sent the plans to the palace more so to check with the wording on it because I'm, you know, oh, yeah, okay. you say you Queen Consort. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carved yeah. into the but metalwork. You, so you have, um, you have lots and lots of greenery. It's yeah. in different tiers and yes. you have a crown right at the top yeah. of it and you're going to have things popping up and down and moving yeah. around. Do you know what's underneath the crown? Go on. A two metre diameter glitter ball. Glitter ball. Well, what else would you have? And where would you get one? 
Exactly. Every garden should have one. <laughs> so it's slightly camp, uh, definitely whimsical, a little bit over the top. And it is that element of eccentricity that I'm uh, I'm going for. So yeah. it's a mechanical garden. It's on the site of an old bowling green. We have a restaurant opening with it and patisserie uh, with, with a chef who's competing in the Great British menu uh, at, okay. at, at the moment, just outside Belfast on this glorious location. Tapestry of colour, wildflower meadow, perennials, been grown by Kilmurray Nurseries then in Wexford. Then big topiary trees which arrive on St. Patrick's Day. Massive uh, three-storey beech trees. Oh, fabulous. Uh, cone shape. And then in the middle of it all, this tower. The garden puts on a performance every 15 minutes to the tune of Morecambe <laughs> and Wise singing Bring Me Sunshine. <laughs> You'll have to give us a blast of that before the end of this segment. So listen, I've been looking, I have been following it with some interest on your Instagram account, um, Jeremy Designs, but I, I don't want to put a dampener on anything. It doesn't look like it's going to be ready for the 6th of May. But maybe I'm missing something. I've moved up there. So, have I, you? Yeah, I have a little place up there for living the in a tent on site. <laughs> <laughs> near, near enough. It's a ten-minute cycle away uh, up a big hill uh, or down a big hill when I go to work in the morning. But is that the plan to have it ready for? The yeah, oh, on the fifth. Right. Yeah, the, uh, the ready the day before. Well, the would that every gardener was so diligent about uh, getting the projects you know, done? We have a great team, and yeah. then we have a succession of gardeners coming to help us plant in the last three weeks but we've a great team great manufacturers it's, it's right. a joy Okay okay and you can follow that if you want to have a look at it on Jeremy's Instagram site Now let's get to some of the questions which have been piling in thick and fast over the last week to uh, the home show at newstalk.com Michelle is the first I am buying a house she said in Wexford with a southwest facing back garden well I'm already jealous about that uh-huh. Michelle it already has shrubs growing but they're not in great condition do I dig everything up and start from scratch she said she's no idea about gardening and hasn't so much as planted a bulb. Help. There's a tyranny of gardening which we've all grown up with which means that this time of the year you're meant to get out and do everything and get the pruners and the loppers going and cut down the roses and mm. you know have mm. them don't worry about anything for the first year. Certainly don't take anything out. Watch what happens in a full cycle. Watch where, first of all, we've talked about aspect. Mm. Under, try and understand, maybe dig a few holes and try and understand your, your soil. But just watch what the plants do. So don't take anything out. Okay, because actually, watch what happens. They might be, some of them might, they be, might fine, be fantastic, And they might be happy there. And certainly, it doesn't sound like you've moved in yet. So really don't anticipate. And don't anticipate any horrors or worries about this garden. Isn't it great that there's plants already established? After a year, you should be getting used to the site you should be watching what the plants do and then maybe go back on my Instagram because I've put all the kind of masterclass notes the up. masterclass gardens that you They're started with us in the first stories. week yeah. and it gives people an idea of this classical this Greek this Italian and, and th- those kind of thoughts that you might go ahead with. and actually Dermot that's really good advice for somebody moving into a house who's in a big hurry to paint all the walls and stick in all the furniture and actually it's a good idea just to sit with things isn't it just relax with it especially you know trees and shrubs they take a while to grow so if you're putting if you're taking them all out then you have to go to the garden centre get new ones 
it's going to be three, five, seven years before they're really looking established. So see what you've got. Maybe it can be adjusted. Maybe it can be moved in the autumn. But just see what you yeah, have first. Tidy up and, and understand and then what okay, you like. Perfect. Yeah. Good advice there now from Michelle. Uh, Catherine also got in touch with us during the week at the home show at newstalk.com. Hello, Sinead and Dermot. We're re- revamping our patio area in the garden. Would you recommend we go for a deck or a patio with paving stones? Now, I have just been doing the same exercise in my head and I ended up with a limestone flagstone patio yep. I love a deck though but, y- but they yeah. weather don't they uh, they were, it, it, so if this had been in the sunny cities if this had been in Wexford and open sunny uh, position with great air circulation decks can be fantastic I would often think about people with mobile homes in places like Courtown or mm, um, mm. you know and, and you build a deck into that sort of area to work with levels and whatever and decks have a wonderful wistful feeling uh, about them that you're floating above a landscape looking down yeah, on, yeah. on everything they're very good in those situations where you have level changes because they're relatively cheap you don't have to put in huge foundations relatively cheap to install however not appropriate for every place. So if your place is, if you're overshadowed by trees or if it's if it's a north-facing site or if you get a lot of frost, if you're in the, the middle of the, the, the country uh, where there's frost, decks can become like an ice rink or they can get filled with they moss or, or, or whatever. They can and so, they become very slippy and a bit dangerous. Exactly. Then. So And they also have a lifespan of maybe 15 years. So, you know, build that into your kind of calculations. And, and also, don't they need to be kind of treated every year or two? Like there's a lot of work. Depending on the type of wood that's used. So one of the softwood decks, which are more sustainable, will need to be mm. uh, certainly treated. There are new options. Composite decking is getting better all mm. all, all the mm. time. Better effects, longer lasting uh, in the type of the UV light. All right. OK, so Catherine, it'll depend on what you are prepared to put up with for all of that. OK, now another listener, Anne O'Connor. Dear Mid Loving the Gardening Slot with Sinead. Uh, I have three boys under the age of eight. It's a wonder you get the time to listen to us, Anne. I'm thinking about putting in fake grass in the back garden as the grass is destroyed with the football. No. As I've got you older. You can't blame her. But As I've got older, <laughs> I've become less fundamentalist. I used to be this, uh, you know, like right-handed trap. You can't do this, you must do that. And now I tend to think people should do whatever they want to do, except with artificial turf. Uh-huh. It is absolutely awful. It, um, first of all, it's sold to you with the idea that there's no maintenance. Big job installing it, huge job in terms of preparation. It's not the cheapest type of thing. But the main w- w- reason that people buy it is that they think that there's it's low maintenance. I got this the idea this uh, a note about this question just yesterday, and the day before, and I only wish I'd taken a photograph of these dandelions growing through artificial oh, grass. Really, moss growing oh, in I artificial grass. I thought it kept grass. everything down. Doesn't. Doesn't eventually it's on a kind of it, a netting, wears, isn't it? it yeah. can't yeah. be recycled. Environmentally, it's an absolute disaster, uh, and we really have to start looking after our environment. So I know lots of people, even clients of mine, have put them in, and I despair. 
Right. Absolute tell us despair. tell us what you really think there, Dermot. <laughs> well, <no, laughs> and I think you've got your answer wait. there. Uh, you, is there anything that she can do with a natural garden or is it just like suck it up until did. the boys are exactly, over? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and if yeah, it's a yeah, new yeah. garden, get the trees established, get your climbing plants established and understand that the lawn will be uh, an area of play for kids for a number of years and then you can take it back right, uh, okay. uh, again. But let's not cut down on our enjoyment of nature so much. Right, okay, all right, enough said there. Uh, and then finally, we have a question in from a listener called Michael. Uh, Dermot, I have a patch in the garden that doesn't get a lot of light. Uh, there's a tree which blocks light in that area. Nothing grows there. Is there anything you think we could plant or anything we could do there? Like I think we all, lots of us have, who are lucky enough to have yeah. a big tree in the garden. Yeah. Uh, that's bit underneath it even if you cut away the upper branches every yeah. so often you're yeah. left with that damp dark yeah you know. well you're lucky if it's damp yeah. because yeah. that means there's moisture and there's a bigger range of plants that will grow there but Michael what you have to remember there's a plant for every single site and situation <laughs> so the bottom of a forest you think it's very very dark uh, uh, what will grow ivy might grow uh, there's an American ground cover called Pachysandra terminalis uh, there's epimedium there's hypericum um, all of these plants either low growing um, kind of shrubby things that take over there's linnaceous there's so many different plants there's honeysuckle ivy ivy is great and variegated ivy often variegated plants will do well in low light levels OK so you'll get a bit of colour and exactly. a permanency exactly, exactly and you could have a kind of ground cover of ivy or any of these plants so mass plant them in that area and they'll just form a carpet OK and bulbs well, spring bulbs yeah. absolutely wonderful and they'll grow in that, that in oh, that they'll, they'll love it. Ah, yeah. OK so yeah. loads ferns, of choice loads, loads of choice you'll get ferns right. for dry for damp for whatever but certainly for shade brilliant OK Michael there's a job for you now for the week weekend uh, to get some of those plants uh, and if you missed any of that you can of course listen back to the Home Show podcast it is up on the News Talk app and you can get all of those great hints and tips from our master class gardener Dermot Gavin and we are delighted to see you and the very best of luck with all your doings now up north You'll uh, come with up that with garden I will you, come up well I come up with me I don't know maybe <laughs> me tiara would be more appropriate never mind a shovel uh, and uh, I'm sure it'll be absolutely fantastic and I look forward to watching your progress with that on your Instagram alright uh, Dermot thanks for coming in Now, in 1792, Kilkenny-born builder James Hoban won a competition to design the White House and completed it in 1800. Hoban's designs were influenced by many Irish buildings, including Leinster House and the Custom House and all of that. And the White House features reflect that. Well, to find out a little bit more about him and other uh, famous Irish uh, builders is producer-director Shay Mary Doyle, who indeed has made films all about this. You're very welcome along to The Home Show, Shay. Thank you. Good morning. Do you know what? It's kind of the whole St. Patrick's Day thing uh, on the horizon. You know, we do think, I mean, all the politicians, of course, are jetting off everywhere and the Taoiseach is in the White House. Yeah. And, you know, it's that other Irish feature that we have, never mind the Guinness and the leprechauns and the shamrock and all that, but actually that pride, I suppose, maybe, that comes from knowing that an Irish architect designed the White House. Tell us a little bit about James Hoban. James is really a kind of a gift from Ireland to America during that whole period of emigration in the 1780s. Um, James himself was born to a farmer, a town farmer on a big estate where he, he was 
father and everybody else realised he was very good with his hands uh, and with wood, and he became a, a cartwright and so forth. Uh, he then ended up in Dublin at the Grafton School of Drawing, and where again he, he excelled. And at the time, Britain was at a to and fro with the, the new America that was was being born. Uh, but at the same time, in Dublin, there was the biggest uh, buildings were going up by a man called James Gandon. And um, James Hoban was apprenticed as an artisan on the building of the Custom House. So here he was as a young man aspiring to be an architect, working on one of the great Irish buildings, which was also a symbol of British rule, interestingly enough. And it was the first building to have the, the harp on it as a, as a building. So it was a kind of Protestant Ireland, Grattan's Ireland. Ireland was at odds, Protestant Ireland was as odds with Britain, Irish Catholics were at odds with Britain. And Hoban, at a certain point um, around 1795, decided he would take the dream boat to America and try and make his way there. And he w- he literally went to America and advertised his carpentry skills. And slowly he built up clients and by good fortune, he was aspiring to be an architect, but he wasn't trained in the former ways an architect would be like Gandon, but he, he was good, he understood buildings, uh, he learned all this in Dublin, and he bumped into George Washington, who uh, admired a chancery court he had built. And um, a, a guy called La, La Enfant, a Frenchman, had been commissioned to build the, the White House, but he had, had put forward plans for a grand palace. And Washington was said, no, no, that's too much, that's too much like royalty, that we want, we want a more you know, down home type of building. So he sacked Lonefont, and there was a competition. And lo and behold, uh, Hoban won the competition and went on to build uh, the White House. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it is still, the facade as he did it is still exactly as it was when he mm. built it. The, the British attacked uh, Washington in, in the early 1800s and destroyed everything that could be destroyed, including the Christmas House, uh, sorry, the White House. So he had to rebuild again. And um, Washington never got to live in the house. Uh, President James Adams um, took up residence. And so it still sounds as a, a beacon of not only Irish, an Irishman, but also a story in the way of Irish immigration. Indeed. And and of course, you know, um, that you mentioned there that other famous designer, James Gandon, who Hoban worked under. And even if people don't know him or haven't heard of him, we're surrounded by his legacy. So you made a a documentary on his life. Talk to me about some of the iconic buildings that people probably walk past all the time. Well, I mean, the Custom House, numero one, that was his first building. Then the Four Courts, down the river, that. Uh, it was later. He, his last building in Ireland was the King's Inns, before the Act of Union came in, and that literally. But basically, he was he he was smuggled over to Ireland. He was a Frenchman, and um, he was he trained in London as an architect. But there was kind of a you know he he wasn't upper class enough for for London. So, but the Irish Protestant population who were uh, at odds with Britain because if you made let's say linen or silk and exported it from Ireland to France. It had to go through Britain, and they put another 25% tax on it. Mm. So they felt that they were, although part of Britain were not being, there was no fair trade, so they rose up. And, and eventually a guy called James Beresford 
wanted to build a custom house in Dublin, but everybody in London thought it was a very small one, but actually, actually it was bigger than the custom house in London. James Gannon was the architect that oversaw all that. So Dublin went from being a, you know, a, a sizable city, but it went to become the second city of the empire during that period. Mm. So it was like uh, the Celtic boom here. You have to imagine it was like that. There was buildings popping up everywhere, and Gandon's hand was on, on everything. Mm. He was a brilliant architect. He really understood the mechanics of building and the fact that the custom house is on the River Liffey, and it's still exactly perfect. It hasn't sank or anything else, whereas yeah. the Liberty Hall beside it actually has sunk a little bit. So... You know, we were lucky to have him, but also so you had a Frenchman who emigrates to Ireland in, in a way, who then creates this vast building trade. I mean, it was enormous. You know? Yeah, and then so his and, and then his protege uh, emigrated to the States and, and, and brought the legacy over there. I mean, it, it yeah. is really a, a kind of, at a time when Irishness w- was only beginning to emerge really as, as a kind of a, a concept, a kind of a standalone adult grown-up-ness. Uh, yes, and, and they were the uh, proponents of it. And they really were, and so then you had Grattan's Parliament and all, all the rest of it. But then again, you know, the Irish notion of freedom uh, happened. It rose up again with World Tone and all the rest, and then Britain basically closed down the Irish Parliament, put brought all the power back to London, and and James Gandon's great legacy ended, as I said, with the King's End, and that was discontinued because there was still more plans to build even more but everything just stopped dead in, in 1800 you know all right well listen a fascinating history there and one which surrounds us as we celebrate St Patrick's <laughs> Day later yeah. on uh, in the week <laughs> and and know that there you know there is the Irishman abroad thing it just began so many hundreds of years ago and and that legacy continues to this day as the Taoiseach visits uh, the current president in that same White House. Uh, Shay Mary Doyle of uh, Loopline uh, Pictures uh, thank you very much for joining us no on problem. The and Home for Show. Your, for your viewers or listeners they may like some of the James Gowden my film James Gowden Alive it's free to watch on the Irish Film Institute player it's an archive there so you can watch it any time. Fantastic. Okay, well, we put up a link to that on our website. And uh, thanks a million for joining us today. You're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast today with me, Sinead Ryan. Now, we have all got used to doing a little bit more DIY around the house and getting things back in order after the few difficult years we had. But one thing that has changed is the wellness trend that people have from hot tubs to infrared saunas and steam showers. My next guest, show regular Denise O'Connor from Optimise Design is here with all of what's new and telling us all about it. Denise, you're very welcome along to the podcast. Thanks so much, Sinead. This is all a bit posh now, hasn't it? <laughs> and wet. <laughs> As if the week hasn't been wet enough. Do many of your clients like the idea of a home spa, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it's something that people are starting to ask for, I would say, put on their wish list a lot more. So, you know, when I first started out um, many years ago now, things like a walk-in wardrobe would have been top priority or an island, a kitchen island. That was the must-have item. But now we're, we're getting clients looking for things like just more of a spa feel in the bathroom, a little bit more luxury in there, somewhere they can go and retreat, 
Things like um, saunas are super popular, especially the infrared sauna. Saunas? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I know like, okay, we, we've all kind of sat in a sauna, maybe in a nice hotel or yes. a spa somewhere and yeah. thought, gosh, this would be lovely to wake up in the morning and have this every day. Yeah. But then you think, maybe if I did do all that, I have to keep the hot coals, I have to keep the energy on, you know, would I use it enough? And I suppose maybe if you're Swedish, you would. Yeah. Um but do you find then that people want to install them in their homes? Do they use them once they're there? Yeah, I think, it, you know, so there's a real mix. There's people who say are doing a bigger job and are making space to design it into the home. Um, those saunas, I think, do get used a little bit more because, you know, when with a climate like ours, if you put them outside, which is what the other alternative, uh, it's less appealing to have to go out in the lash and rain <laughs> um, into your dogs and run down the end of the garden. <laughs> All right. What is an infrared sonia and how do you fit it into the house? So uh, these this technology is, you know, it's grown in popularity recently. So when, when any of us would think of saunas, we think of the old sort of 1970s steam sauna. But the infrared is like lamps basically that heat up. So it's got really good therapeutic benefits for the body, for muscle relaxant, um, you know, healing sports injuries, anything like that. But even sort of well-being, overall well-being, helping with sleep, all all those kind of things, you know, it's it's really, really good. So there's lots of companies now that are um, providing kits that you can fit into a space at home. So we would have clients who say had a, a larger bathroom, they might take out a shower and sort of put in a slightly smaller shower and then fit one of these enclosures in as well. And it works really well. Because of course you only need to fit one or two people. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so like a telephone box size, really. That's it. And, okay. it, you know, they have glass doors. They're really attractive, um, very simple to use and, yeah, fairly straightforward to fit. So what would something like that set you back now in terms of the cost? Yeah, I mean, the kit alone can be in the region of sort of 3,000 upwards. Okay. Um, but then for some of the standalone ones, which are almost like little buildings that you can put in the garden, they're extremely expensive. So you're looking at sort of 20,000, 30,000 that sort of thing. Right. Like that, that's a proper little building. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, good. Okay. So that's, that is the infrared sauna. And of course, yeah. if you want the coals, I suppose there's an added bit there. Um, ice baths. <laughs> now, come here to me. Are you serious? Oh, uh, well, it, this wouldn't be my preference now. And like, I, I, you know, look at the people that are so brave to jump into the sea. I've, I'm terrified of cold water. So, yeah, this one now, I, but it, it apparently has amazing therapeutic benefits um, in terms of your overall well-being, your mental health, but then physically as well for reducing inflammation, helping with sleep. There's even... Um, Apparently, some science to say that it, it sort of activates the brown fat in our bodies, which helps us burn fat and keeps really? us slim. And a everything. new type so, of fat I didn't even yeah, know exactly I had. that we didn't even know we had. So yeah, no, it's right. it's, it's fascinating, and I think that this is something that a lot of celebrities would be like Joe Wicks. A lot of sports people would use them on a regular basis. And and tell me what what does it look like? Where do you put it? So, I mean, you can very simply just fill your own bath at home with ice okay. and get into it. I won't be doing that, but okay. <laughs> if you want to do that. But there's a company, a UK company called Brass Monkey. And they... That's a good name. <laughs> it's great. So they, they actually design these baths that it can be used inside or outside. They're really attractive looking, but they produce the ice. So you sort of plug it in and it's like an instant ice maker. That's like what, my, what the fridge does. Exactly. Or your freezer, your right. ice maker. So it's like an outdoor ice maker that you submerge yourself into. Um, yeah, and but they're really popular, really oh, growing in popularity. All right, yeah. not in my yeah. house. Right, salt therapy. 
Uh, now, I have done this in one of these places where you go in and you sit amid the salt and you have Himalayan stuff over yes. here and you have pink stuff over there yeah. and you have smelly stuff over there. I'll be honest now, Denise, I didn't feel entirely different coming out of coming that show. No, I know. So talk mean. to me about salt and what it does. Yeah, it's it's the negative ions. So I think people always, um, you know, when you go for a walk by the coast and it's meant to help you sleep and all this sort of thing, that's the negative ions in the air due to the salt. So this, apparently these negative ions attract dust particles, bacteria, that kind of thing. Um, they stick to the negative ions and then they drop, so making it easy to remove this from the air. So apparently it's really good for people with respiratory issues, mm. you know, breathing issues, mm. asthma, that sort of thing. Um, I actually visited a salt mine in Romania many years ago. And like you, like went down thinking this would be amazing, but came out not really feeling Well, maybe, of course, different. I think the difference is there was nothing wrong with you or me when it, we went probably, in there. So exactly. we were perfect going in, perfect coming out. <laughs> now, one thing I can get, uh, by the way, you can just buy a salt lamp. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. T- just mention so, that. What's that? People have probably seen them. They're, they're like little uh, pink giant crystals you see them in health food stores and things and they just glow so that basically is just a block of salt and the heat lets it reduce or um, emit the negative ions Okay. so they're very inexpensive sounds a bit wiggy to me right now one thing I can get on board with and Mm -hmm. which has grown again in popularity is the old hot tub yes yeah 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 so a bit like the sauna the hot tub would have been quite fashionable in the 70s but again this is something and I think in a climate like ours that is more attractive to people so you know it's something you can install outdoors it doesn't take up space in your house and because it's warm you can use it all year round in theory um, and again it, it's just that uh, the the health benefits of the warm water the jets all of that kind of thing mm. and just kind of a, a bit of fun really for people and some of them I know can come with lighting and yes. sounds yeah, and yeah, in yeah. a gazebo and all that kind of thing oh exactly and even some of the saunas and the, the steam showers those sort of kits come with um, what they call aromatherapy so that you can put in essential oils and they emit different fragrances and different light colours and stuff to suit whatever therapy you're looking to achieve at home. Now, if you get a, a, a hot tub in the house, you don't need planning permission or anything for that, do you? No, 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 OK, no, no, you no, can just no. install no. it install out, so out on your patio or something if yeah. you're so minded. Right, yeah. OK. It's only really if you start to build a structure around it that you need to be mindful of planning. Yeah. But doing things like that, no. no, no. And the cost of, of putting one of those in? I... I I'd say like because you're excavating and you'd have to to line everything. It's probably significant. It's sort of 10,000 upwards. I yeah, would, I yeah. Would say. because yeah. some of them, you can make them flush with the ground and exactly. step down into them, can't yes. you? Rather yeah, than yeah. climbing over oh, into a, something that you're just leaving there. Yeah, right. Yeah, OK. Yeah. And talk talk to me now. We won't tell anyone about um, maybe a client that will remain named. I don't know. Have you had people who've just said, yes, put in all of this, please? Yeah, and we had a client very recently who put, they had oh, the fabulous home, um, out, outdoor gym and they wanted a sauna. So they put in a little standalone infrared sauna. They had a shower area. The whole thing, so it really was like a, a spa from Scandinavia or something. It was uh, incredible, really incredible, really right. beautiful. You yeah. can only aspire. I know. Okay, <laughs> and if you are inspired to aspire to that, of course, you can find Denise O'Connor at... Optimise Home and Optimise Design. On Instagram, all right. And that was Denise O'Connor from Optimise Design. Denise, uh, thanks a million for joining us again this week. 
My pleasure. Thanks, Sinead. We will be back with the next episode of the Home Show podcast next week. And of course, you can listen live at eight o'clock on Saturday morning on Newstalk. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, Saturday morning at eight. With Colour Trend Paint on Newstalk. Talk.